Welcome to the 20th episode of Who's Editing, a thought experiment in which my guests and I appoint ourselves editors of a comic book line at DC Comics. But the joke's on us because we can only use the characters of a specific issue of Who's Who and in fact must use them. I'm Siskoid and I'll let you in on all the rules. But first, let's welcome my guests with which to create a line of books based on Who's Who number 20. Uh, yes, I did use the plural. Please welcome Gareth Maidley and Paul Cornish to the show. Hello. Hello. Thanks for the invite. Well, it's this is the first time I've done a duo. <laughs> Probably not the last because you've got my sights on on some real life couples. You're not a real life couple. Well, <laughs> well, <laughs> might as well be. My wife knew there were three people in this relationship when it started. <laughs> Your friendship has been going on for a long, long time. Yes, a long time. What what are we up to now? <laughs> oh, I know. We met when we were six, so I'll start like thirty. Six years. So 36 years, something like that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm coming up to the end of this project or the first phase of this project. Who's who number 20 already? What were the challenges? Because you guys had to work together to come up with a line of books. So was that a challenge in itself or are you generally on the same wavelength? We've been talking nonsense to each other for 36 years. So that part was the easy bit. Bouncing the ideas off each other was the easy bit. Actually, I got to say, it must be difficult for the people you've had on who just do it by themselves because when there's two of you, you can get stuck and sort of rely on the other person to chip in with something or come up with some ideas or whatever. You know, if I was doing it on my own, I'd have been stuck on at least half of these. Well, we still both did get stuck on a couple together, didn't we? Oh, yeah. Well, um, we were still talking about Sargon the Sorcerer about <laughs> half hour ago. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to do them every show alone. Know, actually, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've made a rod for your own back with this one. <laughs> this one's a particular. I thought, like, the challenges with there are a lot of characters who have already been successfully reinvented, which, of course, we can pick and choose from versions that already exist. But at the same time, you know, you always feel like you got to reinvent it a little bit. And sometimes the work's been done for you, and you feel like, oh, well, can I really do better than this? And there are a lot of team members or supporting cast characters that just, you know, they, they fit within the team. But alone, how do you create a concept just for them? So, you know, divorcing them from their core books uh, and making them the heroes? Uh, not always easy. Well, certainly getting landed with Sandman, which has got two different definitive brilliant versions. Right. Although not actually Sandman 2 we've got, not as much. <laughs> but I'm a huge Wesley Dodds fan, and uh, it was very hard to picture somebody who wasn't Wesley Dodds as Sandman, because okay. I think he's brilliant. There, there's no reason why you couldn't use Wesley Dodds, of course. I know, but it wouldn't be in keeping with our theme. Yeah. Oh, I see. So you're Okay, well, we'll talk about your strategy in a second. I'll just let people know what the rules are in case this is their first episode. Basically, our line of books must include a monthly series for every hero character or team featured, as well as any non-HQ locations. There is one here. We can give a villain or other entry their own series if we absolutely feel the need to, but we can only name a single villain from the issue to receive that honor. Imagine we're coming back from some crisis or other. It didn't ever happen. <laughs> or so we can reboot characters or use any continuities version. It's really up to us. Titles don't have to match the entries. You know, so they're, they're not all in the S portion of the comic book store. That's an option. Note that each country here, Acadia and Wales, are pitching our own ideas. So we'll sort of end up with two possible lines of books. 
listeners, you decide which books you'd actually want to read, and we'll actually play that game as well. We'll just have enough money to buy one title from the other editor's line. Well, you guys each have your own pocket money, so you get to buy two. <laughs> I will be taking notes. So what was your strategy going into this? Right. Well, let me take you very briefly on a journey. We've, um, <laughs> imagine, if you would, that the Colombian songstress Shakira, whose hips famously are incredibly honest, but unfortunately, not quite so honest, allegedly, according to the Spanish government, is her accountant, because I don't know, Mike, how closely you follow the news related to flamenco-flavoured pop singers, but uh, she's been in trouble recently for um, not paying tax in Spain. Part of the concept here is that Shakira, seeing the success that uh, your countryman Ryan Reynolds has had in buying a football team in Wales and making television programs about it, has decided that she's going to move to Wales and wanting some of that Deadpool money for reasons that can't be explained, has asked me and Paul to come up with a line of superhero comics for her on the proviso that one of the comics has got to feature her. So right. that's where we started from. Um, so, 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 so it's going to have a Welsh flavor. I think the issue already has a Welsh flavor in the sense that there, you know, the Shining Knight is in this, appears in two entries. Yes, and he's he's from Camelot. Camelot is in Wales. That, that's why I picked you guys for this one. <laughs> but I imagine there's going to be much more than that now. Okay, a lot of reinvention on your on your end. Uh, complete belt and braces reimagination of everything. I think it's fair to say. It's a Cymru verse. Yes, the Cymru verse. There you go. That's what we call it. With Shakira. For me, one of the things I've gone and done is I, I'm not going to reinvent everything, but uh, I've created a DC Pulp imprint ah. that includes a number of my books. So they will have a painted pulp style cover on each of them and include a page of serial prose with an illustration, you know. So it's, it's going to tap into that bygone age of. Pulp novels, dime store novels, that kind of stuff. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, we'll see how, how that plays out. It's not on every book, but it's I think it's at least half. Speaking of which, with issue 20 of Husu, we have to include a minimum of 21 books in our line and a maximum of 22 if we put in a, a bonus book. I'm going to hand it off to you first. We'll do a bit of back and forth in entry order. Uh, but of course, we'll keep our bonus villain series for the end so it all starts. This is one character that uh, when when we discussed doing the podcast, he was already on your radar as a possible spoiler, a possible difficulty. Uh, Rubber Duck <laughs> is where we start our, our journey into the Cumberverse. You know, imme immediately, <laughs> you're in trouble. Rubber Duck. Do you know what? Suddenly, this podcast is going to get really niche for Welsh people <laughs> because the first thing that sprang to mind is right when we were kids. There was actually quite. A, there was a small animation. Uh, studio um in cardiff and they did quite a lot of different cartoons i don't know if you had super ted over there did that ever make it outside of britain no it doesn't ring a bell no probably not but um but there's a character called super ted that was quite big in the 80s in britain and it was from a an animation studios in cardiff and they did quite a few different bits and pieces and one of the things that welsh people of our age would know is that there was will quack quack which was a cartoon duck so, I mean, you wouldn't think a duck was iconic for Wales, but this particular one was. And then I'm going to hand over to Paul for the rest of it, because he was the one who had the breakthrough on what to use it with. Yeah, Will Quack Quack. I don't remember much about him. 
from when I was a kid. I know, uh, well, I have a memory of him going, oh, ma'am, all the time, but that might be a false memory. I, I don't know, but this one does now. So Will Quack Quack is a sort of Alan Moore 80s gritty reinvention of uh, Will Quack Quack now called Rubber Duck. Basically, Will Quack Quack has grown up. His life's not turning out the way he wants it to. And he's got into uh, into rubber, basically. <laughs> and he's become Rubber Duck. The, wow. the famous crime-fighting fetishist. It's kind of like a Vertigo title. This, this is the British invasion, guys. This is what... <laughs> This, this, this is what happened, right? This is what happens when you grow up reading 2018. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mine is called uh, Frogzilla. Because he caught my attention. He's there in the serpent, you know, in the image. But Professor Rubber Duck and his team of waterfowl scientists are still the heroes. People will probably not be surprised to hear that I'm a big Godzilla fan. You know, I've seen every movie <laughs> of every era, including Godzilla versus Bambi. So th- this is a book that combines the big GZ with... The Fantastic Four, Rubber Duck gets to keep his powers and everything, nice. uh, but also DuckTales uh, with lots of references to old kaiju movies as Frogzilla and other giant monsters threaten Duck City, which sits on the big pond. Already I have Ibira, the giant lobster in mind for this as a, yes. a crawfish, yes. maybe. Uh, or they can be a dragonfly version of Mothra. So it's a parody of the Godzilla-verse. <laughs> yeah, so Rubber Duck is... It's still going to be an Earth 3 Funny Animals book, but I'm putting that filter on it. Ryander, the hits keep coming here at Who's Editing. <laughs> so Ryander, who gets a half page, he's Starfire's little brother. I call this Adventures in Cosmic Babysitting. It's a comedy series. I realize it's my second in a row. Oh, well, I'm not sure what else you can do with these first two, let's be honest. In this one, Coriander and Commander try to pass the buck on babysitting their, their kid brother as he slips through the cracks and gets into trouble on a cosmic scale throughout the Vega system. So it's a jokey Supergirl Cosmic Adventures in 8th grade type you know, take on the world of the Omega Men with Starfire and Blackfire, the good and bad sisters, as teenagers who have better things to do with their time, like going to the Warriors Ball and elementary school, Ryander is taking advantage of their teenageness, kind of being the Dennis the menace to them, and but also to the Scions and the Citadel and all the those villains from that from that series. Nice. What do you have for Ryander? Well, he just sort of brought to mind, uh, you know, Ryander. It's less impressive, less alien when it, when you think it's just some guy called ryan isn't it yes <laughs> ryan so he just i i we think it's going to be like a sort of american splendor slice of life kind of uh comic about ryan, a man Ry- called ryan just ryan d who um lives in wales because obviously that's our um uh, that's our theme here and it's uh you know yeah he's just going to be like a normal bloke in the cum reverse you know it's all going to be through his eyes and uh he's just going to be kind of like astro city but yeah. with more i don't know display. like a, like a marvel's astro city kind of slice of life comic about a normal guy called ryan who's um lives in this world that's suddenly got lots of strange heroes in it it's it's a good primer you you know for the reader who doesn't live in wales to experience yes. welsh culture you know or something and then surrounded by all these heroes yeah sure alex ross can do your covers and everything yes it's very alex ross actually okay so next up is the first sandman so you couldn't do wesley dodds what did you come up with instead 
<laughs> Go on, you do this one, maybe. We were, um, <laughs> what we were thinking with this one is, it's just, well, because talk about getting, you know, so the first two we've got are just bizarre ones, and then you hit the third one, we hit just like an absolute classic, like not one, but two classic, like Sam Men are in the DC universe. So we went completely different. In, in our version here, we're talking about um, a detective called Sandman. That's his surname. You know, like Goldman. Were you thinking it's based on a on a TV show that we've just made up? <laughs> so this TV show that we made up is a regional detective show about a man called Alan Sandman who solves crimes in the seaside town of Aberystwyth in Wales. And uh, we feel that in our uh, universe, this TV detective, the actor got fired because of some sort of disgraceful conduct. And he, his character was replaced by the character's brother, Jerry Sandman. And uh, Jerry Sandman is, is kind of slightly different, but pretty much the same. They've got a partner called uh, Sandy. And uh, all the other policemen mockingly refer to their partner as, oh, he's golden boy, because he's like the favoured partner. And they just solve gritty crimes around Aberystwyth. And this comic is based on this TV series that we also made up. The three next entries are all that one comic. Yeah, well, thinking about it, it's just like you could get sort of like, I was wondering, even as we were talking about it, you could really get meta with it. You could have like Sandman 1 being the adaptations of the television show and then Sandman 2 being like a comic about how they made the show. And then you mm. could have Sandy the Golden Boy being, you know, the spin-off title about the, the younger partner of the elder Sandman. All right, yeah, <laughs> that works. Uh, bear with me, I've got three completely different ideas for these guys, so I'll just <laughs> run through them. <laughs> Sandman 1, well, this is where I introduced my first DC Pulp book, naturally. Unlike you, I'm just bringing back Sandman Mystery Theater, complete with the doughy Wesley Dodds, journalist Diane Belmont, going after weird serial killers and such. Uh, I, I want to inject more mob and fifth column stuff in there to vary the kinds of threats and bring it closer to the pulp stories of the spider or the shadow. Uh, but it's essentially Sandman Mystery Theater as we remember it, somehow reborn. I, I, I just read an announcement that they're apparently finally reprinting it. Oh, were they? You're doing uh, like uh, trade paperbacks, which oh, cool. weren't in circulation. So that's, uh, that's good news. Oh, that's awesome. Because I don't have that. Because yeah, you've got all of them, haven't you, Paul? I've got all the trades they made and then they just stopped doing the trades. So I had to finish the collection with the comics. So I hope they actually finish the collection this time. I, I think that's uh, the plan. Big Omnibus. I, I don't know. I, I just saw it quickly. Get out to your Google machines and check it out. <laughs> For Sandman 2, the second Sandman book, here I'm sticking to the Simon and Kirby version, not getting Neil Gaiman involved or anything, mm -hmm. which I could have, but but still playing with the character as much younger as per the stuff in the Gaiman series, where Hector Hall's and Lita Hall's kid kind of has those adventures. It's kind of like that. So he's a tween, but dreams of being an adult superhero who works in dreams. I don't know if you ever saw or remember Marvel's new universe. Yes. Mm -hmm. It didn't work. But my favorite book in that line was Night Mask, in which there was a similar character who entered people's dreams to help them overcome trauma. Well, our Sandman does that too, but it's more tied into the superhero universe. So he might end up giving a superhero a warning or make someone decide not to become a supervillain or fight evil nightmares or, you know, uh, we can tie it into the rest of the DCU in interesting ways, I think, using that concept. And if you want Dream or Cain and Abel or the Corinthian to show up. Well, you totally can, you know, it's the same, it's the same big universe, but it's going to be skewed much younger and more fun. 
And then finally, Sandy the Golden Boy. This one, I've disconnected him from Wesley Dodds. It's called The Golden Boy. He's the Doc Savage of my DC Paul. Oh, very good. So, But he's a teenager. At 16, he's already got a bunch of degrees and he's made his fortune. The Golden Boy is what the media calls him, essentially. He's embraced it. He surrounded himself with helpers, but the dynamic is, I guess, not unlike uncles and aunts who accompany him on missions all around the world, whether it's to stop some nefarious plot from leftover Axis characters, because I think I'm setting this just post-war, or uncovering treasures, you know, long-forgotten tombs, kind of Indiana Jones a little bit. It's very much Doug Savage, or if you like, Tom Strong, but with a younger lead. So this one is also more fun, reckless kind of adventure. He's like Doogie Howser Noir. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. A little bit. I like it. Or bronze. Or gold, I guess. All right, let's talk about Sarge Steele. Well, i got to say, I'm very impressed so far with with, with, with your imagination, because I think this is the point where our imagination starts to break down a bit. I would start steal. <laughs> because we couldn't. The thing is, we just couldn't get past the name Sergeant Steele. So uh, we just thought, oh, yeah, clearly he's Sergeant Gavin Steele, South Wales Police. He had an accident in the Port Talbot Steelworks um, and is now made of steel, but he just doesn't like to talk about it with anyone. The, the MacGuffin here is that he's just a regular copper. He's literally just regular South Wales police. He goes to like schools to give uh, lectures on road safety and things like that. And people are constantly want him to ask him about why he's made of steel. He just doesn't want to talk about it. He's very sensitive about it, in fact. Yeah. It's a little bit like a savage dragon or something, you know. Yes, exactly that kind of thing. Except even more mundane. It's literally yes. like lost <laughs> cats getting annoyed because people have strayed on the local railway line, that kind of thing. You know, that's that's way up my alley. For me, it feels like um, my pulp imprint was going to be hitting different eras, you know, by this point. Because my Sarge Steel is kind of like those trashy 60s, 70s paperbacks, like uh, The Executioner, uh, which I think uh, Punisher was based on, or mm-hmm. Bob Maran, I don't know. Gun-toting alpha males, private eyes with military training, that kind of stuff. Here, there's going to be a focus on Red Scare threats and noir tropes. Sarge Steele is a PI whose government connections keep calling him to play spy, at least now and again, anyways. Okay, cool. And it doesn't matter that that doesn't make any sense, you know, because I don't expect the action to make sense either. It's supposed to be you know, big. I also think he could be African-American here. So I want to inject a little more diversity mm-hmm. into this this pack of pasty whites. <laughs> Sometimes we get issues where you know, it's, a little, it's a little beige. <laughs> so that's my Sarge Steel. Sargon the Sorcerer. All right, collect your notes since you had a tough time with this one. For me, uh, it is, yeah. <laughs> he's my pulp imprints, Mandrake the Magician. Yes. I make him a contemporary of Wesley Dodds. He's more concerned with supernatural threats, haunted houses, Satan worshippers, and from time to time, sure, Scooby-Doo villains who are faking it, you know. The series really focuses on, I think, lurid imagery, and like Mystery Theater, it's for mature readers. So Sargon still has the ruby of life, but I want it to take a toll. Each time he gives life to something, there's a trade, either of his own vitality, or maybe it's someone else's. I'm thinking he's kind of in the 1930s John Constantine. Yes, yeah, that's a good idea, yeah. What did you land on a half hour ago? <laughs> well, the thing, part of the problem we had is we sort of like started working backwards because um, cause we had a lot of ideas about sort of like magic characters and wizards and things like that, and, you, you know... A more direct 
Welsh take on stuff. But they all come towards the end of this list alphabetically. So we did all of that. We thought of quite a bit of the stuff that's coming up now. But Saga and the Sorcerer was literally like, oh, Christ, not an, another magic user. What on earth can we do with this one? And to make it even worse, Paul Googles it, and it turns out Sargon is infamously some kind of far-right YouTube character. Is he? Or, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's some like alt right anti feminist guy using the name Sargon based uh, on the original Mesopotamian king, I think, rather than the the comic book hero. I think his name is. So we thought maybe it'd be quite interesting if our comic was a sort of slapstick satire about a alt-right uh, internet troll YouTuber type who gets magic powers, but each issue his adventures end uh, with his spells backfiring in some humiliating way for him, you know, just make himself look foolish, basically, with his magic powers. You just turned an entire title into a way of embarrassing an online Nazi. Yes. <laughs> Shakira is happy about this one. I guess. That's what I think, yeah. Probably be more happy about that than some of the other ideas we've had. Yeah, does she have to sign off on everyone? I think so. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, at least there's a lot of female characters, you know? <laughs> so uh, let's see what you do with Saturn Girl. I think this was the first one, which which was uh, which one we could sort of get our teeth into, because my good colleague Paul, this is his very much his wheelhouse in that professionally he runs what is it you run planetarium (laughs) very into you know space and astronomy and that kind of thing and of course we're both really into um fantastic four and like you know the the kind of cosmic adventures of the fantastic four so that's sort of where we went with satin girl wasn't it paul Uh, we were thinking that maybe like satin girl could be like wales's first astronaut and uh, she goes up into space uh, on the first mission to saturn uh, on a trip past the rings gets hit by i don't know some kind of radiation or something space rays and she merges with the rings so when she comes back she has the ability to turn herself into lots and lots and lots and lots of densely packed pieces of dust and rock and ice so she's kind of like you know marvel sandman in that respect or you know so she's a shapeshifter and she can, you know, go really big, go really small, shoot bits of rock at her enemies, you know, go into doors, that kind of thing. So she's like the one of the premier heroes of our Cumryverse. She's kind of like the Wonder Woman of our Cumryverse. Okay, I like it. Uh, because a lot of people look at Saturn Girl when they don't know anything and they're, they're like, her powers are telepathy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is a bit more, yeah, we're, we're, we're a bit more that. literal with this one. Yeah, it only makes sense if you know the lore. Because there are three Legionnaires, actually, in this issue. So uh, in, in this case, I'm divorcing them all from the Legion, but not necessarily from a future setting in this case. Saturn Girl is, is set on Titan, a world of telepaths where Imra Ardeen is one of the best the moon's ever produced, and she's working for the science police, uncovering and prosecuting thought crimes. The best espers are given Saturn status, to explain the name. So uh, Saturn Queen can also be in this one. Uh, she, maybe she's one of the police corps' higher-ups. So it's kind of a GCPD kind of thing with echoes of Judge Dredd in there, uh, asking questions about what constitutes a crime in a culture that can read minds. And yeah. Imra's coming up against internal corruption. I mean, Saturn Queen's a villain, so we, I want to keep that in. You know, officers putting ideas in people's heads. <laughs> it's kind of the 
the, the, the pun here, with no legion to run to, Imra stays with the science police and tries to improve things from the inside. And if she can't, at least counter their evil moves. So we definitely explore contemporary policing methods through this science fiction filter. Very contemporary. That was a good one. Next up is Scalp Hunter. And in this case, I've kept the name, but this is not actually my DC Pulp Western series. There is one coming up later. It's still Pulp. This is a Monster Hunter series where a modern-day Brian Savage goes up against classic and uh, more DCU-centric monsters to put their heads on his wall. So he's a master of every conceivable weapon, and he started to train his 13-year-old son, Steve. This is a character that's supposed to become the balloon buster, even though this is contemporary. I mean, I'm going to do some I am the gun for sh- <laughs> for shadowing. So what he's hiding from Steve is that in reference to the original character's native name, Brian is quote-unquote less than human. So it's part of the first year's mystery that we don't know how or what happened to make it that way, but there is something odd about Brian Savage. I also want some competing monster hunters in the book. Uh, I really like that idea in the recent Werewolf by Night MCU short. They had like these competing monster hunters and these might have recognizable names. I might, you know, poach from the supernatural canon at DC or its Western comics more probably, you know, do a lot of world building there. Awesome. Nice. What do you have for Scalp Hunter? Well, I mean, this was definitely one where we hit the wall of how do we sort of like um, uh, stretch this one into a Welsh theme. Right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> although, having said that, Brian Savage is a very Valley's name. I'm Brian sure we Sav- have a PE teacher called Brian Savage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I could definitely see Brian Savage giving somebody a kick it out the back of the railway on a Saturday night. <laughs> So yeah, so he was just like, well, how do we, how on earth do we get this into the, uh, into the Welsh theme? So Paul, to be fair to him, goes, oh, we love him. He's a vigilante in Cardiff who hunts ticket scalpers. Yeah, kind of based on, you know, maybe inspired thematically a bit by uh, that character Grant Morrison did in Doom Patrol, who kills people with beards. You know, beard hunter. <laughs> Um, this guy just uh, he just really hates scalpers because we've got a bit in in the middle of Cardiff we have the big um, Millennium Stadium where lots of sporting events and music gigs happen and so scalpers you know where there are a lot of them around there comedy dark comedy about a really inept vigilante who just hates ticket scalpers I would always always be drawing uh, torchwood in the background somewhere Oh, yeah. <laughs> <That's an> Easter egg. <laughs> Scalping is a big problem in Cardiff, to be fair. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? Crime ridden Cardiff. <laughs> Crime ridden center of town, eh? <laughs> Next up, this is our location Star Labs. Was this uh, easy to transplant into uh, your area? We've kind of cheated a bit here. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is like a kids' comic about Labradors who are celebrities. Um, Star Labs. Right, okay. <laughs> this, is, this is the one we sold to Shakira as the real moneymaker. We're talking like toys, cartoons, animated <laughs> films where Chris Pratt does the voice. So obviously there's like a, a Shakira dog, you know, like a dog owned by Shakira who's who's exactly like Shakira. And, you know, maybe dogs based on other well-known celebrities as well who we haven't decided on yet but they're all but they're all labradors that's the important thing <laughs> and they're called star labs oh they could be welsh ones tom jones labrador yeah. Shirley Bassey labrador. Oh, there we go yeah yeah reese evans labrador 
of yeah. course. Russell T. Davies is, yeah. The fella from Game of Thrones who cut the other guy's todger off. Yeah, he's... <laughs> there are a ton of Welsh stars, you know. Oh, we're everywhere now. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, in my case, meet the all-star squadron, but star as an acronym. So it's a repurposing of that IP. Oh, there you go. It is a team of scientific screw-ups who work out of Star Labs and try to find a way to help society rather than, you know end up on the wrong end of Scalp Hunter's knife. So Jeanette Clyburn acts as the coordinator for a group that includes Star Labs stalwarts, Rampage, Atomic Skull, Cyborg, Speed McGee, but it's Tina, Parasite, and Firestorm. Some of these oh, have cool. villainous compulsions, but they're really trying hard, and that's why the more heroic characters are there. Just not to keep them in line, like in Suicide Squad, but as actual support systems who care what happens to them. So I want a superhero group where the dynamic is survivors and therapists, addicts and sponsors, that sort of that sort of thing. Cool. And the staff is always working on ways to help manage their transformations. So there's a, a reason for the group to actually stick around. Even Cyborg and Firestorm, who seem to have good lives otherwise. Victor wouldn't mind looking more human, obviously. And, mm. and Jason Roche is starting to boil over just like he was in brightest day just before the new 52 put yeah. the whole subplot on ignore well <laughs> let's explore that actual story you know where he's an atom bomb about to go off so he he has a reason to stick with the team and with the lab this is like the comic heroes in crisis could have been yes but i you know i never employ top king so <laughs> 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 okay, so next up is Sea Devils. Obviously could have been a DC Pulp book for me, but it's not. I don't want it to be about Frogman, or not entirely. Dane Dorrance is in it, but he's an antagonist. I want this to be about Kurt Busiek's tangent universe Sea Devils, fish mutated into humanoids by radiation, living in the coral city of Shalago off the shore of Georgia. The nuclear accident happened during the Cuban Missile Crisis, but was hidden from the world. So 60 years later, the first king of Shaligo has died and a new king is crowned who wants to start trading with the surface world, reveal the sea devil's existence and so forth. Problem is, there's one surface lander who already knows about their existence. It's Dane Dorrance, former Navy SEAL and now oil tycoon who uses his government and business contacts to try and screw over the so-called sea devils. I want this to be a political book. It's full of maneuvering, wheeling and dealing, but there's a bit of super action as well, because there's always going to be one group of fishmen who want to help humanity or act as ambassadors for their people. So they work out of uh, Macon, Georgia, such so a small town, and uh, they are perceived by some as heroes and by others as monsters. Scalp Hunter crossover? I don't know. Scalp Hunter is becoming more and more important <laughs> Every every concept I put in. But I'm going back to the tangent universe for, for this particular concept. What about yourselves? As you've probably guessed, a lot of the stuff we've done so far has been quite tongue-in-cheek. The Sea Devils, though, is one that I thought, oh, no, I could really go to town on this one. This is the one I think I could really go for. Just because it, there's like a legend of a Welsh Atlantis, you know, well, they call it the Welsh Atlantis. It's not quite as grand as that. But there is, in Welsh mythology, something called Cantra'r Gwaelod, which is the Lowland Hundred, which is your classic archetypal flooded city myth, of which there's quite few sort of threads of that in in Celtic mythology. Right. So the idea would be, you know, almost like a, definitely a horror kind of book, sort of like a Welsh Lovecraftian horror book where, you know, these 
that this underground city that sort of survived in myth is, is full of the sea devils who will occasionally come on land and it's about uh, the people on the shore who've got to figure out who they are what they are where they're coming from and really pulling from celtic mythology things like um I don't know if you, if you ever read Slain, the 2000 AD one that Pat Mills did. I think he touched on the Fomorians, which were that sort of like undersea monsters in Irish legend. So it was, so it's really going to pull on that. So uh, again, this is another one I thought, oh, I could really get my teeth into this one. I could. It's, it's the one I thought, you know what? I can't like to write this one now. What are we talking about? <laughs> There's always <laughs> one series you'd like to write. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like we're, if we're editors, more from the 70s. <laughs> we get to write one of the books. Yeah, absolutely. There's another team right afterwards. Secret Six. What's your idea there? <laughs> Back to the tug-in-cheek. The idea was that here uh, the Secret Six would be sort of like an Alcoholics Anonymous, but for superheroes with uh, who are just feeling a little bit left behind. The, the Cymru versus less cool superheroes. So like you've got Rubber Duck, obviously, Sergeant Steel, Sergeant Rock, who will be meeting shortly, Scalp Hunter, definitely Sargon. I don't know, let's throw in one of the Star Labs uh, Labradors. Uh, and the idea would be they're sort of like they get together once a week to talk about how bad they feel about their lives. It's like a terrible Justice League where all your main heroes are together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're just really annoyed at everyone else getting all the good press. Yeah, very bitter, yeah. yeah. Now you get your heroes in crisis as well. Yes, exactly, yeah. The cheap laugh. Yeah. <laughs> for me this could easily have been a pulp series as on the page right but i decided instead to bring back gail simone's supervillain series she can do whatever she wants with it she's absolutely golden on these characters but to bring it back to the original model a little bit they've instituted a new power structure so there's a secret lottery after every mission and each member gets to take their turn being mockingbird the secret master who decides what project they pick next And sometimes it's going to be obvious who it is. You know, Ragdoll's perversions are really only his own. But sometimes it won't be so clear. And some members might want to play one hand against the other by offering missions that are subterfuge for their real goals. How this affects the team? That's where we get the good stories, I guess, uh, launching them into this new era. But I'm not really reinventing anything with this one. With Sensor Girl, this one is going to be a 21st century teenage girl, Projectra Orando. She mysteriously develops extrasensory powers that make her aware of injustices, people in danger, and so on. It's a little bit like Daredevil, you can't sleep, you know, that that kind of thing. But she also has the ability to cloud other people's senses with illusions. So, of course, she decides to do something about it as Sensor Girl, making people think she's an adult heroine, which should provide some Shazam-style complications and, and humor. I want to explore the idea of teenagers lying to their parents and teachers so they can live their best or possibly worst lives. And as for the mystery of her powers, I would give her a pet snake, which is a reference to the Reboot Legion version of the character. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and that snake starts talking to her. It's also an illusion. It's like a broadcast from some secret community who have chosen Projectra as a champion or as a savior. It's a mystery that's going to linger for a bit. A lot better than I was. <laughs> <laughs> this was another one. It's just like, oh, what kind of power is a sensor? Because when we were talking about it, I was saying to Paul, it's just like, oh, well, um, I was reading who's who number 20 and i'm not you know i've read uh, quite a bit of like the legion but i'm not mega into the legion kind of thing and i didn't know who she was at first so i was saying to paul who the heck sensor girl it's like oh yeah princess projector is other um other identity and all this looking in it and it's just like well why was she sensor girl in the legion and paul's going i don't know it's just like i wasn't actually 
was it even defined in the, in the comic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's funny that you say who is Sensor Girl because that was the whole storyline. Yeah, exactly. Maybe she was Saturn Girl. They're both blondes. Again, maybe she's Supergirl, a sort of return of Supergirl after Crisis. You know, there were just a lot of theories back in the day. But uh, maybe maybe she's a big snake for no reason whatsoever. Because <laughs> that was the other one. Because Paul was saying, "Oh, well, you know that big snake in the reboot. <laughs> that, that's." And it's just like what the that wasn't just like a random. It's like no, no, they just made Princess Projector a big snake. I don't remember exactly what the reasoning was anymore. But after Karate Kid died, her planet was pushed into another dimension. But then she returns, but she doesn't want anyone to know she's returned to protect herself from. So, anyways, so she adopts this new identity and she uses her powers differently so that nobody clues in that it's Projectra. So that that's how it it kind of came about. But it was all supposed to be. Uh, you know, the writer playing with, you don't know who she is, and everybody had di- their different theories, you know. So what did you do with her? <laughs> I don't know, I'm a bit embarrassed, really. We came up with two, and maybe had a serious one, and I had a silly one. Uh, I'm kind of embarrassed by the silly one now, so I think we should be a serious one. We just get skip this. The silly one was, she was a vigilante who went around uh, attacking people who swore or showed too much nudity before nine o'clock in the evening. So she was literally, and she was a bad speller. So she was literally <laughs> censoring them. But I'll be honest with you, I'm losing faith in that idea. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I kind of like it. I can see her like, I'm imagining a character who's like going around putting duct tape on people's mouths and making a point. <laughs> yes, and, that kind of. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is in keeping with the Loki nature of a lot of the Cambryverse we've done so far. <laughs> so what's the serious one? The serious one was literally just of Iron Man. <laughs> it was just like... A, <laughs> I can't be well, well, no, it's just like because it, it that's literally the only thing I can think of. Like, who's got sensors? Iron Man, okay. Could she be like an Iron Man, your know, sensor girl, being able to like take in lots of different inputs and being able to, you know, like, like be in the hub of some kind of enormous network and, um, you know, and that's that. That's the heart. You know, she's in this suit, like this kind of like robotic suit. Her base is called like the Sensorium, and that she's like processing all the information she gets from the internet and everything like that. That that was as far as I got with it. You need a couple of power hitters in the yeah, Cumbreverse. Yeah, yeah, so far they've been very underwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> you want some of them. So the Secret Six have I don't know if they're they're heroes or people they whine about, but you, you need that upper. An upper level. Yeah, exactly. Who are they whining about at this point? It's just like, well, we, we, we've sort of backloaded a lot of the heavy hitters. I think you mentioned Sergeant Rock as a Secret Six member, so let's get to it. <laughs> well, again, Sergeant Rock is Sergeant Derwin Rock of South Wales Police. He's made of rock, but he doesn't like to talk about it. He's just a regular <laughs> copper who like goes to schools and does lectures and things. And he's we partner... did the same thing twice. <laughs> For comedy purposes, we did the same thing twice. Is there going to be a difference in between those books, realistically? Absolutely not. Okay. And that's the gag. <laughs> one's made of steel and one's made of rock. That's the difference. Right. I think this is the point where Shakira would just like give up on it. I she think. doesn't notice. There are so many books. <laughs> It comes off later. (laughs) In fact, taking inspiration from Shakira, this is our tax dodge because we figure, (laughs) can we get the same book out twice and no one notice? I think an interesting (laughs) way to do this as a weird experiment would be you have the two characters, they have a different supporting cast, but they have, you know, essentially just the names are different, the look of the character is different, and then you let two different artists work on the same script. 
Yes. One writer for both. See, yeah. already, already you've enriched this really poor concept. You know, I, I don't think that's uh, a seller forever, but I think it's an interesting experiment that, you know, I think comic book nerds might be really interested in seeing that play out. You make sure you get, you get one that's really, I don't know, you like two very different art styles, and then you see what happens. Yes. My Sergeant Rock, this is another one where I didn't reinvent much, because if it ain't broke... Don't fix it. And My Sergeant Rock, uh, I make it a DC pulp, so it gets those covers and those text pieces. But it's as much like the Kaniger Kubert stories in look and feel as possible, while still using modern storytelling techniques, of course. I do have a backup in mind, which deals with a descendant of Sergeant Rock, Private Rock, who is uh, uh-huh. serving in the Middle East or whatever, wherever hotspot the American servicemen might serve at when this actually comes out. So it would tell more contemporary war stories, and uh, he would look a lot like Sergeant Rock, just noticeably younger. So it's it's kind of a way to tell how Sergeant Rock became Sergeant Rock back in the 40s. Would he also wear two ammo belts that fit no known weapon? I believe that is a feature, not a bug. (laughs) That is, I gotta say, that is absolutely one of my favorite covers of all time, where there's just these Nazis and Sergeant Rocks just wailing on them with these two ammo belts. And he's just like, so that's what the ammo belt's for. You know, the man is hard as a rock, and uh, and, and so is his grandson, or great-grandson, or however far we are from World War II now. But he'd be in the book as well. Oh, Sarah fan. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, is it my turn? It's, it is my turn, isn't it? Okay, so, um, well, he's the silliest forever person, probably. <laughs> but this is my DC Pulp Western series. And it's called oh, it's called okay. Sheriff Han. So he's a, a oh. young Chinese immigrant who, through extreme circumstances, becomes the sheriff of a town called Forever in the Old West. And we're going to have a real investment in making this town detailed and unique. And we're going to include the tented shanty town used by the Chinese in the quote-unquote suburbs. And Han is getting justice for them, but he's also he also has to balance white politics, you know. So in terms of the pulp format, we're pushing this one more towards the dime store novels of that, that genre. So there's a, a bit of a different look to it, but it's still the painted covers. We still have text pieces. I think I've saved Seraphan by making him Sheriff Han. That sounds awesome. That's really good. <laughs> I don't think I've screwed up a single forever person yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> so watch out, Viking. Well, we, yeah, well, we, we went with, uh, with, with mucking around with the name as well. Um, and this one actually did fit one of our themes because instead of Seraphan, we had Sir Ivan. Ooh. You know, Ivan being a Welsh name, Serbia, like, you know, fitting in with the Knights of the Round Table kind of thing. And even though there isn't an actual Knight of the Round Table that I know of called Sir Ivan, we just thought, oh, no, no, we can use this. We can use this as one of the um, the more of the heroic heavy hitters of the Cumbria Bird, the more serious part of it. Not, not to spoil too much of where we get to Shining Knight, but part of that idea is that, you know, the Shining Knight is like the Superman of the Cymru verse, and he is sort of like a, a refugee from the past and from myth, and he brings sort of like some of his entourage along with him, and Sir Ivan is one of them. He's one of, you know, he'd be one of the knights, and it would be sort of like a bit of that Captain America of um, 
you know, a time-lost knight learning to survive in contemporary Wales, maybe get into a brawl with someone called Brian Savage on the back of the railway or whatever. But, you know, also being like a hero. And um, in, in fact, thinking about it, we've probably made Sarivan more of a Shining Knight than the Shining Knight. No, no, no. The difference will be is that when we get to our Shining Knight, you'll see that, spoilers, he's a bit magic, but Sarivan's just your normal knight. So... We can do the sort of more grittier stuff with Sir Ivan, you know, because he doesn't have any powers. He's just a dude with a sword. So I suppose in that sense, he's more like the original Shining Knight, but he'll be very distinct from our Shining Knight. Right. So if Shining Knight is Superman, Sir Ivan is Batman. Yes. So that's the same route as like Ivanhoe. Yes, no. It's just like Evan, Ivan. So it'll all be that sort of route. Yeah, yep. I think so. Uh, okay, well, Shining Knight appears in the entry for Seven Soldiers of Victory. Is this the Justice League? Is this, does this have anything to well, do? Yes, this is exactly. This is the uh, this is the Justice League. So it'll have Sarivan in it. You'd have Shining Knights in it. Our Shazam's in it. Satin Girls in it. Our Shade the Changing Man's in it. Shakira's in it because. <laughs> You know, she's funding it, and we had to put her in. Branding. Yeah. And, and and I was thinking that maybe the seventh soldier could perhaps be Ryan D., who's just like the noble guy, and he, you know, he sort of like finds himself as the, um, oh, what's his name from the Hulk? Rick. Rick Jones. Thank you, Rick Jones, like the Rick Jones figure. Surely more like the Snapper Car. Nobody wants to mention Snapper Car for some reason. I, I don't know what happened. How <laughs> <laughs> I forgot what universe we're ripping off. <laughs> this is one of those concepts that did have a good reinvention already. Morrison's non-team was very intriguing. Yes. Yeah. But I'm taking this back to the original concept and slapping the DC Pulp sticker on it. All the characters are pulp heroes of the 1940s, working as a society who meet up, share mysteries, get each other's help, so on. Dynamite Comics was doing all those pulp heroes books at one point. And one of them was Masks, which teamed up all their licenses, Spider, Green Hornet, Shadow, etc. And they went up against like a massive crime syndicate. Well, that's what Seven Soldiers would kind of be like. The group would include an older Starman and Sargon, because their own series are in the 30s, plus Vigilante, Crimson Avenger in the Crimson Cloak, no, no Leotard, yes. mm-hmm. uh, Star Spangled Kid and Stripe C, but they're more like Rocketeer types. And there's a guy called Arrow, whose legacy would one day include Green Arrow. Nice. But no Shining Knight, because I have other plans. (laughs) Uh, Shade the Changing Man. This is another property who was redesigned amazingly well twice. The Vertical comic and then uh, the Changing Girl from the Young Animal imprint. So what do I do with it? Well, I would probably just resurrect Shade the Changing Girl slash woman and keep it going. Uh, which would mean at this point, like like at the end of that series, the Madness Vest and the Shade Persona uh, were passed on to a guy called River, who is African-American and bisexual and was Loma's confidant through the Changing Girl series. So let's just tell the next chapter. So we make it less introspective and go back to some of the Pete Milligan's ideas of a mad America, except now mm-hmm. it's infected the rest of the world, which we sadly will recognize as our own. <laughs> so it's about dealing yeah. with the cognitive dissonance of the darkest timeline, various incarnations of the American scream, the British scream, the Russian scream, and so on. Bring Shade back to his vertigo roots 
and yet respecting where the franchise had been going, uh, you know, in later years. For you, I guess it's one of your big guns. Well, it is. And uh, it was, again, it was one of the ones where I, as soon as I saw it, I thought, oh, I know exactly which one this is going to be. Because one of the things about Welsh myth is, I mean, Welsh, it's, um, I mean, it's very weird for a start. <laughs> it, 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 you know, a lot of Welsh myth and stuff was formed in sort of like, like an oral tradition it was um mostly bards telling stories at different um you know courts and in different towns and different villages and things like that and it didn't actually get written down till a lot later on so a lot of the source material that we've got now for welsh mythology is just like really weird in some strange ways and and sort of like the the mother goddess figure of welsh mythology is a witch called caridwen and, and what, what's funny about Caridwen, I think it's probably just general misogyny. It's, it's like she doesn't really feature in stories of her own. She's sort of like in the background of a lot of other stories. But one of the big ones she's responsible for is the Welsh bard Taliesin, who was meant to be the greatest of bards. She was his mother. And there's a big, very weird legend around how he came to be. But he had a brother called Avagdi, which is a great Welsh word, Avagdi. It means like deepest black. Um, and he was a sort of like a shape changer of Welsh myth, a shadow figure. It's not always clear if he was a good guy or a bad guy or anything like that. Um, only that he was the son of Caridwen and he was meant to take a potion that was like going to make him, you know, beautiful and talented and smart. But it went to his brother instead. So our Avagri becomes the shade, the changing man when he's brought forward into our time, even though he's part of the seven soldiers of victory, even though he's, you know, he is a hero. It's just like, you know, to what he's the most weirdly supernatural, I think, of our heroes. And uh, again, when I'd love to write the title in real life kind of thing, I could really get my teeth into this one. It's super interesting. What about your shadow last? Because again, deep as black. <laughs> I don't remember what we said now. <laughs> oh, well, I think she like a like a deranged fan. Of... Yeah, basically the idea was going to be is just like she was a deranged online fan of our shade, the changing man. Calls herself Shadow Lass because she's Scottish. Because that's the only way we can think of why someone would use Lass in their name. And I think that's really sort of as far as we got with that idea, didn't we? We didn't really. Sort well, of wasn't that. she going to be a Scottish nationalist? Yes, that's what it was. It was just, you know the kind of like um, advocate for what's Welsh and Scottish independence in a way that makes other people who advocate for it feel really uncomfortable. That, that's one thing, right? If everybody called Lad and Lass in the Legion had a Scottish accent, that would just <laughs> it would explain it. Wouldn't it, it would just be very, really weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm really using the the lore from the Legion in there. I'm calling this one Shadow Champions, and it's about the entire legacy of the heroes of Talos Seven, chosen by the Dark to fight against the Light. It's not as topsy turvy as it sounds because uh, their planet is a nocturnal desert. Well, that's their society is anyways, and uh, staying out of the sun by day would be deadly. So enter Tasmia, whose code name is Umbra here. Again, I'm doing the, the reboot thing. Whose powers do allow her to fight diurnal invaders and Talosian barbarians led by Lady Memory who have evolved to survive by day. And in between Umbra's story arcs, we have stories that take place over the last thousand years or perhaps move to the future to show how other shadow champions handle things. Because I love a strong legacy. I love like when Iron Fist, they do like all the... the former Iron Fist, pirate Iron Fist. Yeah. This is kind of what I'm doing with Shadow Lass. It's a little bit a little bit fantasy, sci-fi fantasy. Awesome. Next up is Shakira. Uh, so my, <laughs> let, let's start with mine because it's closer to the entry. My DC Pulp imprint really needed 
a Tarzan, you know, uh, or rather a Sheena, yes. a Sheena type comic. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah and she's my jungle queen, Shakira. Set in Skartaris, there's no warlord. She's the protagonist. She can turn into a cat. That gives her a hold over a, a local cat-worshipping culture, but also the responsibilities of its uh, for its welfare. Uh, gorgeous art is a must, you know, to render the lush primeval setting uh, with lots of cheesecake and beefcake in there. The artist must also absolutely nail cat anatomy and behavior. Of course. It's always great when they do it well, and it's always terrible <laughs> when they do it wrong. You can always spot the artist who got a cat. That's what exactly. I say. Yes, definitely. So I sort of want to introduce a conflict between mammals and reptiles in this, with a tribe evolved, whether naturally or not, from the dinosaurs that is now encroaching on human territory which would fuel the greater overall arc of the series. So that's that's my Shakira. Now, your Shakira is from the real world, but how does that translate? It is Shakira. Shakira, Shakira. Oh, baby, when you talk like that, you make a woman go mad. What was great about growing up in the 80s is the way that you would have, like, a Mr. T cartoon. Right. Or like a Happy Days cartoon. So this idea of like bringing pop stars and uh, people like that into comics. It was just like, that's very much what I think we pitched to the real life Shakira. It's just like, it is a licensed comic about Shakira who's become a superhero. She turns into a cat because why the hell not? She turns into a cat. That's her power. And she's just got to make her way in Wales. And again, we're thinking licensing. We're thinking cartoons. We're thinking soundtrack albums. We're thinking movies. That's where we got with it. And really, the cornerstone of this whole crazy project was Shakira. And, and it is purely because of the name. I mean, I can't speak for maybe, but I literally know that one song where she says, <laughs> rests are small and humble. And <laughs> I don't know anything else about Shakira. <laughs> She's in trouble with the Spanish government. That's as far oh, as Oh, right. Can. Okay. <laughs> yeah. DC also has, or who's who, at least had an entry for a, another sword and sorcery female character called Mariah. So I, I think... <laughs> There's so many. Oh, we could double up, yeah. Yeah, there's so many. Yeah. I don't know. All the, the the DC divas. Yeah, yes. we could do exactly the same thing again, twice for comedies. Yes. <laughs> All right, Shazam. Uh, <laughs> where do you go with this? The wizard. He's a Welsh wizard called Gwydion, and he came to the present day with our um, shining knight. Who I don't want to give away too much about yet. But Gwydion is integral to the story of our version of Shining Knight. He's like his uncle, but also like his sort of companion and counsel, sort of Merlin to his Arthur. Bit of a trickster figure as yes. well. You can't really trust him like as well. You know, he, even Shining Knight can't completely trust him. You know, he's got a bit of Loki about him. Okay. I call mine Young Shazam. Uh, so it's the wizard when he was young, oh. just chosen to be the champion by the gods uh, 9,000 years ago. He's fighting the seven deadly sins and their agents in uh, deep antiquity. It sounds epic, but I still want it to be the kind of lighthearted stuff the Shazam books were in the C.C. Beck era. So I want him to try his hand at giving other people powers and it doesn't work out great. Or uh, time traveling to the present to meet other heroes to see how they do it. I don't mind if it gets really goofy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, for example, he shows up at a Vinca village and uh, everyone's eating themselves into obesity and the land is ravaged. They have nothing for the winter, etc. So it's Gluttony's fault. So you can play that straight. Oh, okay, or, cool. Or, yeah. yeah, or you can make it like a cartoon. And I'm going for that later option. Focusing on how absurd fighting sins 
is, you know. Which brings me to my Shining Knight. In my case, it's a DC pulp series in the style of Prince Valiant. Oh. Uh, yeah, and I'm not about to take a representation away from the trans community, so I'm keeping Morrison's idea of the Shining Knight as a trans man, who, uh, in my case, gets a little hormonal help from Merlin, just just to make it more uh, like a trans story that con- the contemporary experience can relate to. Yeah. Arthurian stories that pay more than lip service to the legend's Welsh roots, which would refresh it for readers, I think, who are well used to the the round table as depicted in media. And I'd love to use Etrigan in this, but as a recurring villain rather than hero. And maybe the occasional guest star cool. yeah. yeah, from the Dark Ages, you know, the Silent Knight, Viking Prince, you know, those characters might show up just to build up, since I'm keeping it in the past that way, just to build up that world. Mm-hmm. But your guy obviously moves into the 21st century. Yes. There's a Welsh hero in Welsh mythology called Lleilau Gafes, and uh, he is great. I'm doing a lot about him in work at the moment, actually, because astronomers associate him, Welsh astronomers anyway, associate him with the <laughs> constellation of Perseus. And so, uh, and, you know, we try and do all kinds of different cultures in our planetarium. So uh, I've been pushing the Welsh angle a bit. Yes, Lleithlau Gafes, he is a hero from Welsh mythology. And in our continuity, he's been transported with Gwydion and Sir Ivan to the present day. Lleithlau Gafes, in the original Welsh stories, he's pretty much indestructible because he can only be killed if he is standing next to a river with one foot on a goat <laughs> and the other foot on a bath. And the bath has to have a thatched roof. And he has to be killed by a spear that has been prepared over the course of a year while everyone else was busy worshipping. And even if you do manage to kill him under these very specific set of circumstances, he won't die. He'll just turn into an eagle. So, so he's, he's to all intents and purposes indestructible. Spoiler for anyone who does read the Mabinagi where the tale comes from, the unlikely circumstances do actually come about. Yeah, he, he literally gets tricked by his wife who says, who can you show me those very specific set of circumstances, please? I'm not sure I got all that. <laughs> so he's not very clever. But he's like Bullseye or Deadshot because Lleithlau Gafes translates as the fair-haired, sure-handed one. So, uh, And that means he could just hit anything he uh, targets. Kind of a mixture between, I don't know, Mr. Immortal and bullseye but he's a goodie and he's a knight that's quite the legend i always imagine in those things it's that there's a prophecy and that's the way they know you know like fate has decreed that that's how he's gonna die because it knows that his wife is going to trick him into doing all these things but so he can't die at not the appointed hour there is an explanation like he can only be killed if he's not touching the ground but still i know there's some kind of like weird rules that he can only die and whoever told this story originally centuries ago interpreted this as standing on a goat and standing on a bath with a thatch roof or something. <laughs> it probably got more and more complex with every telling. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was, it, you know, it, it, there's so many of these are clearly like an oral history where it was just like some guy who was just putting more and more unlikely things into the story to get, you know, keep the crowd going or whatever. And it just happened that that was the version that some some scribe had put down. So that's the version that we know today. And I hope the comic is just as Baroque, you know. Well, I was thinking it would be really good to have it be a kind of Tom Strong kind of thing where, you know, depending on how you did it, you could have one 
type of like really golden agey kind of hero uh, kind of issue where you know because like that kind of absurd weakness is very much a golden age absurd weakness you know and then you can have like you know other artists and other writers doing different things uh you know in different situations you know what, what does it look like when he's just like in contemporary wales doing normal stuff in the valleys what does it look like when it is more baroque when you know when you get more weird things from welsh mythology coming through to present day you know again something you'd really get your teeth into cool okay so do you have a bonus series based on another entry Oh, we do. We, in fact, we had the bonus series was going to be the Scarecrow, which is based on his wife. Oh, Lleithlau Gafes' wife, who tricked him, was called uh, Blodewedd. You see, Lleithlau was cursed by his mother so that he could never have a wife. So Gwydion built him a wife out of flowers. And Blodewedd, Blodai means flowers and Agwedd means aspect. So Blodewedd literally means flower face. So <laughs> after she tricked Lleithlau, Gwydion cursed her. He transformed her into the bird that all the other birds hate, which is apparently an owl. I don't know. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> so based on that, that all the other birds will hate her, she's uh, the scarecrow and she's some sort of grotesque owl woman. Wow. She's probably closer to poison ivy, but we didn't have the peas. But, you know. Yeah, no, I think scarecrow fits the idea of, a, you know, I mean, at least the word scarecrow, if not the character. Yeah. <laughs> She literally scares crows. Yes, exactly. (laughs) She literally does. (laughs) So for mine, I I looked at the, like the pulpy genre I didn't really have in my pulp line when I was done was Kung Fu Exploitation. So I'm using uh, Sensei for that. The series is actually called League of Assassins. Sensei is a Fu Manchu figure who runs an international criminal empire, a small part of which is the League of Assassins. The twist is that some of these assassins have been hired to kill the boss man. And by their code, they have to do it. And it's not going to be easy, obviously, so we follow them on assignments as they try to destabilize the rest of the League, undermine Sensei's authority, and so forth, so that, you know, so not only can they get close to him, but also not face opposition from all the other assassins when they finally make their move. The lead might be Bronze Tiger, I think that would fit, and his acolytes might be Onyx, Cassandra Kane. I need an untrustworthy member, Merlin the Archer, something. So you don't know who to trust in the League of Assassins. So any of them might be a spoiler. Who hired them in the first place? We don't know. So uh, we can have a lot of fun with these mysteries. And that completes my line. Wonderful. Which South American pop star have you got funding yours? (laughs) That's a good question. I'm not sure yet. (laughs) So finally, I mean, we follow the now well-established tradition that states we have only enough money to buy one series from the other person's line. Which will it be? Well, I got to say for me, yes, I thought the satin girl idea was great the idea of like police in a how do police work in a psychic society society i'd definitely be addressing that kind of title but i probably have to go for your rubber duck because my son is mad keen on kaiju and godzilla so rubber duck would probably be the one that i'd end up getting the least likely just to pass it around what about you paul i was also tempted by satin girl and shadow mask because i'm a big legion fan and i was very interested in those characters you know, being shown as being away from the Legion. And I love the legacy angle of Shadowlass as well. But I just love the uh, the Chinese cowboy one, Sheriff Han. I thought that was brilliant. I, I, so I think that's the one I'm going to go for, I think. All right. In my case, I will say, now I don't have enough money to buy Sergeant Steel and Sergeant Rock, so <laughs> I sort of had to put a line through it. <laughs> 
But I like the uh, I like the passion that Gareth showed with the the books he would write, <laughs> Sea Devils <laughs> and Shade the Changing Man. You know, it's like okay, well these are these seem to be like creepy, weird kind of books that would be up my alley. It would be the kind of stuff that I would want to read. So if I have to pick one of them, I, I'll go with Sea Devils. But if you ask me tomorrow, I'll go with Shade. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, dear listeners. It's time to go to fireandwaterpodcast.com. Tell us what you think. Would you read any of these books? If you were in charge, what series would you offer using these characters? What would you tell Shakira when you made decisions that uh, she didn't agree with? <laughs> and if you like this content, think about visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts like Diablo Frank, who sponsors this show. Uh, so I hope you had fun, guys, because I did. Yeah, oh, me I too. did. We had lots of fun. It was really good fun. But I hope Frank doesn't regret sponsoring it. No, no. You, well, you should, you should hear his episodes. <laughs> so uh, thanks for trying the experiment with me. And until next time, who's editing? We, we are. We're going to adapt it, but we're going to keep it the same. But I think maybe we could actually take it over here, or maybe we could do this. This character is male uh, in the original. Is there any particular reason why this character has to be male? No, there is no point at which this character, you know, desperately needs to use their penis to stir tea or something. Good. Okay. Well, then let's let's change that.